Welcome to Sports History 101, a production of the Saints Sports Network. Hello and welcome to Sports History 101. I am your host, Ray Delgado, once again, as always. Thanks for joining us. And for this installment of the podcast, we will be talking about what will obviously always be a continued argument. But for now, most everyone can agree the greatest college football team of all time, which is the 1995 University of Nebraska Cornhuskers football team. By the 1995 season, Nebraska had already made a name for themselves as one of the best teams in the country. The season before, the Cornhuskers had won the 1994 National Championship, beating the University of Miami 24-17 in the Orange Bowl. Now, if you know anything about college football, you know that University of Miami had been the baddest team in college football, meaning they were the best. They had a uh, questionable attitude, uh, but you know, no doubt they were the dynasty from really the early 80s through the early 90s um, under Jimmy Johnson. And unfortunately, the name of the other coach escapes me. They were the best, but they also were the most chaotic in terms of the personalities and the antics that went on both on and off the field. They obviously had a lot of success. They were very, very cocky, had, you know, a lot of, you know, penalties because of that. And also off the field, they had a lot of trouble with the law, uh, with various things. But nonetheless, they are one of the best dynasties in the history of college football, winning four national titles between 1983 and 1991. So that's by any stretch, that's a really, really good football program. So back to Nebraska. In 1995, they had much the same personality about them that Miami had, but they had not cemented their excellence even after winning the 1994 national championship. So in 1995, they were the defending national champions and still not viewed as a great team. The Cornhuskers were led by head coach Tom Osborne. Osborne came on with them in the 80s, the early 80s, and was as even keel as you could possibly be. He said everything in just a flat tone, doesn't matter the circumstances, huge loss, huge win, was always just very understated. You know, not, not a guy that got very high, very low. He was always very even keel. Um, as I'm sorry, I, I said he took the reins in the eighties, actually the seventies, 1972. Um, he had a lot of success from 72 all the way through the nineties. Um, but before 1994, he could not win a national title. His teams were always great. The Nebraska Cornhuskers were known as just these big teams that were really good teams but they could never beat Southern teams. They couldn't beat teams in Florida and Texas and things like that because they were always faster and more skilled, whereas the Nebraska teams were just big. They are big corn-fed boys that could run right through you. But that didn't work against those Southern teams because, like I said, they were faster and more skilled, which means that they were a better football team. One team that Nebraska really could not beat was – the Barry Switzer-led Oklahoma Sooners. 
they're in the same conference. They're in the big eight and no Oklahoma was always better. But once Barry Switzer left in 1989, after all kinds of NCAA violations and things, the tides turned and really it probably would have kept going in that direction. Had Barry Switzer stayed there. The team's other issue, like we mentioned before, is the Southern teams. Nebraska lost seven consecutive bowl games or playoff games, if you're not really that familiar with college football, from 1987 to 1993. So in seven consecutive years, they lost to teams from the South that were always better than them, and it really did show through. To break it down, they lost four of those to Florida State, two of them to the University of Miami, and one to Georgia Tech. In comparison, the as I saw it written in multiple places, the Cornhuskers were big, slow, corn-fed lugs that would never beat a Southern team. Osborne realized this problem. You know, it's just pretty easy to see. You're always getting, you're beating the teams that are, you know, where you're from, the heartland, the Midwest, and you're always being beat by teams from the South. So he realized this problem. And as that stereotype was being established that his team was big and slow and, you know, all of that, he was stocking up his program with players from Florida, Texas, and California, recruiting speed and an edginess that wasn't there before. That really started to show through in 1993 when the Cornhuskers lost the national championship to Florida State only after a missed field goal in the closing seconds of the game. Really a heartbreaking loss because they had it in the bag and they just, they lost right at the last second. In 1994, Tom Osborne and his Nebraska team were finally legitimized with their victory over Miami in the Orange Bowl to get the school's first national championship since 1971. So that's like 23 years they had gone, they had had success but had never won that national championship. And it was Tom Osborne's first national championship as well. That year, the team finished with a perfect 13-0 record and were ranked first in the nation from the 1st of November through the end of the season. In 1995, so the year we're talking about here, the team was returning a number of their key players, including their star quarterback and running back, but still were not given the respect to be able to have another successful season that would culminate in a national championship. Even though they had made it to the big game each of the last two seasons, coming a field goal away from being back-to-back winners, the Huskers were still viewed as the big, slow, corn-fed boys that had always basically been the staple of Nebraska football. They still are to this day. Mostly it's the offensive line, though, that you expect that. Well, that really was no more. The team was faster, more athletic, and ready to defend their 1994 title and prove their greatness for the 1995 season. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll get into that 1995 season. The 1995 schedule opened with Nebraska playing at Oklahoma State. At that time, 
Nebraska ranked number two in the Associated Press, so the AP preseason poll, behind just Florida State and ahead of Texas A&M. Oklahoma State was also a member of the Big Eight Conference, but they were essentially a cupcake game. And what that means is, again, if you're not familiar with college football, they use that term quite a bit. It's just the super easy games. That it's a gimme win, uh, more or less like a confidence booster for big programs uh, that there's not going to be any kind of contest. And you get a victory. And at least nowadays, the basically 99% positive losing team uh, will get a pretty big payday to come and get their butt kicked. So against Oklahoma State, the Huskers' offense exploded for 64 points, cruising to a 43-point victory in their season opener and showing really that they were picking up where they left off the year before. Their next three games were against non-conference opponents, and the offense just kept on rolling. They took down Michigan State 50-10, to who was coached by none other than Nick Saban, and that was actually, still to this day, that's the worst loss of his career, which is fantastic because now Nick Saban never loses, and it is very irritating, I have to admit. Hopefully it is for other people too. So they took down Michigan State 50-10. to They beat Arizona State 77-28. to And Pacific 49-7. In week five of the season, Nebraska faced their second Pac-10 opponent, so Arizona State was also in the Pac-10, in Washington State, who actually gave them their closest challenge of the whole season. The Huskers went down 7-0 early on, but then... Honestly, they still left with a two-touchdown win and moved to 5-0 on the year. It wasn't really a, a scare by any stretch, but it was the closest margin of victory they had all year, and it was 14 points. Entering the conference season, the team was still scoring with ease, despite losing the best offensive weapon that they had after the Michigan State game. So after just their second game, they lost running back Lawrence Phillips who, as a sophomore in 1994, ran for over 1,700 yards and was still still a Nebraska record for, the, for a sophomore and was one of the favorites to win the Heisman Trophy in 1995. After Nebraska's big win over Michigan State, in which Phillips rushed for 206 yards and four touchdowns, which is unbelievable, he was first in line for the Heisman Trophy with... 359 yards and seven touchdowns through just two games. It, the trophy absolutely, if he kept up anywhere near that pace, was absolutely his. And unfortunately, it was taken away from him very quickly. Or the opportunity was, he obviously didn't have it already. Later that night, after the Michigan State game, Bills was asleep in his own home, and or maybe an apartment or something that the, you know, on campus, and was woken up by a call telling him that his ex-girlfriend was in the apartment of teammate Scott Frost. So just as a quick aside, you might recognize that name, Scott Frost. He was a transfer quarterback uh, to Nebraska, and he is now the head coach of Nebraska, and is supposed to be bringing them back from basically 
the depths of mediocrity. So anyway, back to our our story here. Um, Phillips found out his ex-girlfriend was in Scott Frost's apartment. Well, Phillips was furious, and it was said that that girl was, who's actually a, a women's basketball athlete also, um, was his first true love. And as a kid, he had developed a major problem with anger and abandonment as both of his parents left him. Um, his dad was never present in his life, and his mom chose a boyfriend over him and kicked him out, basically. And he had he was homeless for a while, lived in shelters and things like that. So he did not have a good a good upbringing and naturally had issues with abandonment. Well, the running back rushed over to Frost's apartment. He then scaled the wall outside up to the third floor balcony, found his ex-girlfriend in the apartment, and then dragged her down three flights of stairs by her hair. Absolutely heinous. And for his crimes, he was sentenced to one year of probation along with attending a domestic violence prevention class and paying $359 of restitution after pleading no contest to the assault charge. So at the very least, he didn't try to argue. Even though there were multiple witnesses and there's not a chance he could have gotten out of it. To take it further away down the line, um, because of other multiple convictions in his life, he is actually now in a maximum security prison and likely will be the rest of his life uh, for attempted murder. And then there's also an issue with uh, him being moved from solitary into, you know, a cell with a cellmate. And that cellmate was found murdered um, shortly after. And he's mixed up with that. Uh, but back to our 95 team, what that really meant for Nebraska football was that their best player, other than their absolutely otherworldly quarterback who we'll talk about later uh would be suspended six games uh which wasn't the whole season um it allowed phillips to return for the final three regular season games and a potential bowl game were they to make it unfortunately phillips was not the only criminal to grace the roster of the 1995 nebraska squad uh, the team was doing its best to emulate the University of Miami teams that won by outstanding margins, but had a number of players with questionable character that would go on to leaves to lead lives outside the law. We'll just we'll leave it there for them. On January 30th of 1994, right after Nebraska's first national championship, or not first, but most recent, uh, Tyrone Williams was involved in an incident involving a few other Nebraska students. So he was a football player on the Nebraska team. In the early morning hours of January 30th, Williams smashed the window and fired two shots at an Oldsmobile, which is a car, for those of you who don't know that, with multiple people inside. Uh, the case went to court in 1996, and he was sentenced to six months in jail. As another example, before the 1995 season, on August 2nd, Riley Washington was buying snacks with some friends that night at a local convenience store. When they left the store, 
they got into a run-in with some guys that they apparently didn't like very much, and a fight started. And during the fight, one man was shot by, allegedly, by Washington, and he was accused of second-degree attempted murder and the use of a firearm to commit a felony. Um, later on, in 1997, a few years later, he was acquitted, but then had multiple other run-ins with the law later on. Uh, so he was by no means a, uh, a Boy Scout. Continuing, Christian Peter was a captain and defensive end, uh, pleaded no, no contest, so no contest, and was found guilty of misdemeanor third-degree sexual assault in 1993, and then faced another sexual harassment suit in 1995. Uh, at the end, Reggie Ball, a wide receiver, pleaded no guilty himself to possessing stolen property in April of 1994. All four of these guys that I just mentioned, minus Phillips, all four of these other guys that I just mentioned, played in the 1995 season in full. Given the antics of all five of those players, so of those four plus Phillips, it was natural that the team had a sense of foreboding hanging over it from the first snap of the season. I mean, they're, they were sacrificing morals and values and things at the price of winning a football game. Tom Osborne, the head coach, was someone that held his ideals and values very near and dear and it was widely felt that he completely sold out on those beliefs to create a Cornhusker dynasty built on the back of high-risk recruits that could win national championships. So like I said, really just paying, paying for your choices. You know, it was, it was more important to win, to win football games than it was to have good people around you. Well, that seems like a good time to break, and then we'll get deeper into the season when we return. Despite losing their one of their best players for six games, the Nebraska train forged ahead. Didn't didn't skip a step or anything. Basically, as freshman Amon Green stepped up and completely filled the void perfectly. The 5-0 Cornhuskers welcomed their conference slate of games, beginning with Missouri at home. And on October 14th, Nebraska completely embarrassed Mizzou to the tune of a 57-0 victory. Their next contest was to be their first big test of the season, going against the number eight ranked Kansas State Wildcats. Both teams were undefeated entering the game, and what was probably expected to be a at least somewhat closely contested faceoff ended in a 24-point Overwhelming victory, 49 to 25 for Nebraska. So they beat their first test, which was number eight, uh, number the number eight ranked team. Week eight, the next week, they fe featured a potentially another potentially great matchup with Colorado in Boulder, Colorado. The Buffaloes had produced the 1994 Heisman Trophy winning running back Rashawn Salam and were no easy task. They were ranked seventh in the nation themselves at 
with a record of six and one and you know you don't win 10 games the year before and be an a, you know a cupcake as we'll use the term that we explained earlier like the week prior nebraska's prolific running assault had no problem with colorado winning by 23 points and after beating the number eight and number seventh ranked team it vaulted nebraska up to the number one rank in the country a rank that they would never give up as the season progressed the team only continued to improve they scored 73 points against iowa state surpassing the 70 point mark for the second time in that season and then they held the number 10 ranked kansas jayhawks to just three points scoring 41 themselves to win their 10th straight for the year and their 23rd straight game as they had gone 13 and 0 the year before in the final regular season game for the Cornhuskers, they were to take on the middle of the road oklahoma suitors no longer were they the insurmountable barry switzer squads that nebraska could never beat despite putting up their second lowest point total of the season with just 37 points, which is huge. The Cornhuskers blanked the Sooners to complete their perfect season of 11 and 0. So that was, it's perfect. They blanked the Sooners. They held them scoreless and the Huskers kept their zero, their goose egg in the, in the loss column. For the season, the team was led to perfection by their supremely talented Tommy Frazier. Frazier was unfortunately sidelined in 1994 due to an injury, it was actually an issue with blood clots, uh, but came back with a vengeance in 1995, setting the Husker career record for total offense with 5,476 yards and touchdowns produced at 79. In his senior season, he passed for almost 1,400 yards and 17 touchdowns while also running for over 600 yards and 14 touchdowns. So he was responsible for 31 touchdowns and um, over 2,000 yards of offense. That performance led to him narrowly missing out on winning the Heisman Trophy that would go to Eddie George, the Ohio State running back, and but not to be, you know, outdone, I guess. Frazier was named a first team All American, which is no small feat in itself. Along with Frazier, center Aaron Graham and defensive end Jared Tomic also earned first team All America honors. And Aside from those three players, another eight players were all named, so that's 11 in total, were all named first team all big eight, which is, is huge to have 11 players on the first team of your conference awards. That's probably unheard of, honestly. The accolades were all given out, but the work had yet to be completed because this is obviously all done after the, the regular season. And given their undefeated season and their number one ranking, Nebraska earned a spot in the Fiesta Bowl, 
the national championship game and a date with the University of Florida. For the senior class, it would be their third consecutive national championship game appearance and their second undefeated, actually third undefeated regular season. That translated to 43 wins in 47 games in their career. The game was billed as two heavyweights that would go toe-to-toe on the biggest stage. Florida had a great team of, of their own in 1995. They started the season ranked fifth and moved up to number two after they beat number eight, Tennessee, 21, LSU, Louisiana State, number seven, Auburn, number six, Florida State, and number 23, Arkansas State in the SEC championship games, the Southeastern Conference championship game, before they met Nebraska in the national championship game. So they they were a great team themselves and had beaten quite a few ranked teams. On January 2nd, 1996, the Fiesta Bowl kicked off in Tempe, Arizona at Sun Devil Stadium in front of 79,864 fans. The two teams were evenly matched in the early goings. The Gators actually drew first blood, kicking a 23-yard field goal four minutes into the first quarter. Nebraska was able to answer back on their first drive of the game, as Tommy Frazier and Lawrence Phillips connected on a 16-yard touchdown pass to give the Huskers a 6-3 lead after Florida blocked their extra point. Florida then scored on a one-yard run on their next possession to regain the lead at 10-6 to to close the first quarter. So Nebraska was down by four, 15 minutes into the game. They were completely undaunted by the task, though, and picked Florida apart deeper into the contest. As the game went on, Nebraska got better, and Florida could not keep up. To open the second quarter... Phillips broke a 42-yard run for his second score of the game. Shortly after, Danny Werfel sacked the Gators quarterback in his own end zone to put two more points on the board for Nebraska with the safety. Nebraska, after that, continued to dismantle the Florida defense, spreading the scoring around with an Amon Green touchdown, two Chris Brown field goals, and a Michael Booker pick six, so an interception return for a touchdown to cap off 29 unanswered points at the halftime mark and take a 35-10 to 10 lead. Coming out of the break, the third quarter was all Frazier. The quarterback first ran 35 yards to collect his first rushing touchdown of the game. Later in the quarter, Florida managed a touchdown, but Fraser answered back in short order, breaking a 75-yard run during which he eluded six tackles to get another touchdown, score his second rushing touchdown of the game. To drive home the point that Nebraska belonged here and no one else did, they poured on even more in the final frame with a touchdown run from each Phillips and Brooke Berenger to hang 62 points on the Gator defense 
in the national championship game. Florida, with zero chance to win the game, actually, you know, I guess one highlight for them, managed a 93-yard kickoff return to score, but that was with like four minutes left in the game and they were already down a ridiculous number of points. When the dust settled in as lopsided a number one and number two matchup there had been in the prior 50 years, Nebraska was back-to-back national champions with a margin of 62-24 to a win over Florida. They ran for a record, a bowl game record, 524 rushing yards. And by comparison, held Florida to negative 28 rushing yards for the game. Cornhuskers disrupted the passing attack and absolutely feasted on the running game to completely basically nullify any Florida offense there was. Their quarterback threw three interceptions. He was sacked seven times, and they, like I said, we got one of those in the end zone for a safety. On the flip side of that, Frazier ran for ran for 199 yards, so he almost had 200 rushing yards and scored two touchdowns, and then threw for another 105 yards and a passing touchdown. Along with him, Lawrence Phillips had 165 yards on the ground, scoring three touchdowns and carried the ball 25 times. For the season, the Cornhuskers ranked number one in the nation, not just in the AP poll, but in rushing yards with 399.8, so almost 400 rushing yards per game, and scored 52.4 points per game, which is completely unbelievable. I have never, ever seen anything like that, and we probably aren't going to see something like that again. They're also second in the country in total yards per game with 556.3, which is an astounding, astounding number of yards. The team completed the season in perfect fashion, beating teams by such huge margins that the 1995 Nebraska squad is lauded as maybe the best college football team in the history of the game. The off-field misdoings of a number of players mar the overarching dynasty that played out on the field. It really is tough to separate the terrible crimes from the football, because if they were included in the decision for the best teams in history, in no way would this team be great, because if you have five players that are in trouble with pretty serious crimes, that, that is in no way great. However. Taking into account just the football, they were unparalleled. I do believe that's it for this episode. And aside from another national championship a couple years later, that more or less closes the book on Nebraska's last football success. So, until next time, stay safe and remember that Jesus loves you. Thanks for listening. Check out more content from the Saints Sports Network at saintsportsnetwork.home.blog.